Hi, I'm Rachel, and this is Podcast Here, the show where I have a casual conversation with an outdoor adventurer about our experiences, mental health, life, and doing the things that scare us. I hope this ever-changing podcast brings you stories you can relate to, human connection, and inspiration to do the things that scare you. In this episode, we talked to Katie Grable. I met Katie through Instagram. Um, I actually met her because the 52 Hike Challenge shared something that she wrote on her story about redefining hiking. So we talk about that. We also talk about plastic, her job working for Greenpeace, and our experiences with social media. At the time of this episode recording, I had just moved into an apartment in Carborough, North Carolina at the beginning of the summer. It was quite the time in my life. Very transitional. I had only met Katie probably a month or two before this, so it was cool to get to sit down with her as my friend and just have her on the show and talk to her. She was the very first in-person podcast interview I had ever done, and it was the first time I'd ever used my Zoom recorder, so you might notice that the balance is a little bit off between the left and right mics. Um, It gets better toward the end, I promise. (laughs) Hi, I'm Katie. Okay, I haven't really done anything super impressive. I'm kind of like um, outdoors light. <laughs> like I like hiking, but I think the longest hike I've ever done was the Rootburn Track in New Zealand, which is like uh, I think it's like 30 kilometers or something like that, like 20 miles ish. Um, I did that when I was studying abroad, and then um, I love hiking, but it's like mostly like day hikes, like six miles or something like that. Um, but yeah, I love hiking and love being outside. I love rock climbing, swimming, all the swimming, anything to do with water I love. Um, I've just, I've lived in such a different variety of places, like being born in Hawaii um, and being like a beach bum and like learning how to surf when I was really young and then moving to Germany and like having like the skiing and the mountains there and then living in North Carolina and having like good hiking and stuff like that. Um, I have just like a weird... (laughs) <laughs> collection of like outdoor hobbies that I love but hiking is definitely my favorite perfect <laughs> uh you don't have a trail name right I mean you never I don't have right? a trail name yeah. no that's fine I know I, there's I'm trying to get more people that don't have trail names so people can see like you know the possibility like you don't have to through hike yeah do you outside. only get a trail name if you do like a through hike like if you do like backpacking yeah pretty much it's like a backpacking thing okay yeah I was going to say, let's just get on the trail. You can give me Do a trail it. name. Let's go stand over there. <laughs> There's a trail in my backyard, yeah. It. It's like a little one-mile loop. That's that's long enough for me to get a trail name, right? Totally. There's, like, thru-hiker wannabes that never hike, like, people who are retired who always wanted to hike but couldn't, and some of them have trail names. Or, like, trail angels, a lot of trail angels have trail names, yeah. but they never actually, like, thru-hike. So talk to me about the 52 Hike Challenge. Yeah, so I conveniently found it right before, like, New Year's, and I was, like, really looking for something that was going to, like, inspire me and, like, force me to get outdoors more often. Um, My partner and I moved from Texas in October to North Carolina because we lived in Houston, which is a really, really... Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yes! (laughs) It's, like, the shittiest city ever. Um, It's just, like... A concrete jungle there's just very little green spaces and it's also so hot most of the year like you don't even want to go outside mm. because you just melt or like it's so humid you just oh it's like oppressive humidity and heat 
So we, like, wanted to move somewhere that had, like, seasons and actually had, like, nature that's more accessible and, like, just more of it. So we came to North Carolina and, like, started off really strong and, like, every weekend we were going hiking and then it kind of, like, towards, like, November and December we started getting outdoors less and less because the weather was getting colder. Um, and then I think also, like, the, the newness of it started to wear off. Wasn't as exciting. Yeah, yeah. So um, I heard about the 52 hike challenge, and then I just decided that it would be a cool thing to do for 2019, so that at least at least once a week, if I did it like even spread, I get outside, and I'm trying to do like a variety of trails instead of just doing my backyard trail all the time. Um, so yeah, it's been really it's been a, a good motivator to make sure that I'm like staying on track with my numbers. But also, I think it's, for me, it's like a statement that the outdoors is accessible to everyone and to all. Like, yeah. we don't see a lot of, like, black, indigenous people of color out on the trails or anything like that. And we don't see them, like, proclaiming themselves as hikers or, like, yeah. outdoor recreationers or anything like that. Like, increasingly, I think there's a movement to, like, diversify the outdoors. But to me, like, doing this is showing that, like, you don't have to have all this time off to go like hike the AT and you don't have to have all this fancy gear and you don't have to have like all this capability to like drive hours to the mountains to hike like I live in a city a pretty like a relatively like urban area but like they I still am finding so many opportunities to get outside and hike and it's also like I had a conversation with my coworkers because I work based in DC And we were talking about, like, I was trying to get a hike in one week when I was in D.C., and I said, do you think a walk around the National Mall counts? Like, there's nice trails around there, and you can walk from memorial to memorial. And Yeah, they're like five miles, like just the regular loop, and then you can add things in. And I was like, do you think this counts? And they were like, no, because a hike, you, you have to get outside, like away from the city. Like, it's, it's, like, disconnected from the city. You have to be out in nature. I know. And and that got me thinking, and I was just, like, D.C. is very urban, and it has, like, a large population of, like, black and Hispanic people. Yeah. And if we're telling them that, like, a walk around the National Mall doesn't count as, like, being outdoors and enjoying nature and, like, doesn't count as, like, even just, like, an urban hike. Yeah. Like, what are we telling people who live in, like, inner city, like, New York and other places where there are large populations of people who don't have access to nature like we do here in North Carolina and just don't have the money or the time to like go out to their state parks and national parks like why are we cheapening like these experiences that are right there it's just it just seems kind of silly to me so my 52 hike challenge started taking on its own like persona and that I was like starting to like try to prove that like urban hikes count and they are just as good like I've had so many cool like urban hikes like in New York City and DC and then when I was traveling through Europe for work that were like just as great and like allowed me just as good of a chance to commune with nature and feel like more connected to the earth move your body yeah and just get out and move but they're just as good as like actually going on a trail in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere yeah like they're just different so that's yeah your explanation of urban hikes and why you're including them in your 52 hike challenge on your instagram story was like how i found yeah and i don't know i saw that it made me so happy because i remember in college when i lived in boston 
uh, me and one of my friends used to go and find, like, parking garages around town. <laughs> we would try to find, like, the tallest ones, and we would go around just to see, because you get a view of the city if you climb to the top of them. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, like, such a workout to climb, like, <laughs> yeah. flights of stairs or whatever. And you get to the top, and it's a great view, and it's not, I mean, usually they're not restricted or anything. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, like hiking. There's not, I mean, yeah. you drive out of Boston to go hiking. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. Yeah, I think that needs to be said more. Like, the people who are accessing the National Mall and yeah. places like Central Park in New York City and, like, doing walks, like, they're just as much hikers. Yeah. It's just a different kind of hiking, and that's okay. Totally. Yeah. I think, like, redefining hiking and just, like, a lot of sports. I mean, I think a lot of people see the media that surrounds the elite or follow mm-hmm. people who are elite, like Alex Honnold or whatever. Yeah. It's like, that's <laughs> not what climbing is for 99% of people. Yeah. But that's what people see, and it's like, that's really intimidating. Just yeah. Just like hiking, people see through hikers, and they're like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. And it's like, you don't have to do that. You just have to go outside. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a 2,000-mile commitment. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that needs to be said more for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, talk to me about what you do for a living. So I work for an um, international environmental nonprofit called Greenpeace, and um, I am a digital campaigner working on social media um, for them. So I work on the online team, and I like blog for them, I write articles for them, and I manage social media. And um, I'm a bridge to the plastics campaign from my team. So I get to work a lot on, like, plastics issues, which is actually something that going into this job about six months ago I was already super passionate about, which is really cool. Um, So, yeah, I just – I get to travel around the U.S. And um, I got to go to Europe last month or – yeah, like March through April, it's May now, um, and I got to cover this really cool ship tour that we were doing, uh, bringing attention to corporate polluters who are perpetuating plastic pollution in our world, and um, we made this giant plastic monster, put it on the front of a boat, and we sailed from Netherlands to Switzerland to deliver the plastic monster back to its creator, which was Nestle, so it's really cool. Um, I've kind of framed my whole life around working for Greenpeace, which is really cool that it actually worked out. Um, but environmentalism is something that's super important to me, and I love being able to, like, use my gifts and my talents and my passion to, like, draw attention to these issues and create change in our world. Yeah, that's dope. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me more about what people who are listening could do to work on their relationship with plastic. Oh, man, there's so much you can do. <laughs> um, it's hard for me not to be, like, the typical group typical green piecer and be like it isn't about what you need to do as an individual it's about changing the system uh but i do recognize that like we live in a broken system and we have to cope with that broken system so um i started a few years ago getting really really serious about eliminating my plastic waste and it started with like the simple things like um using a reusable water bottle and not like using single single use water bottles and um like not using straws and then just kind of taking little things out of my life and supplementing them with either like just taking them out and not replacing them with anything like straws like I just don't need a straw I can bring a glass to my lips and just drink from it um down to I mean 
This one's a little bit more personal, but ladies, mm-hmm. <laughs> any guys who are about to listen, sorry. Um, <laughs> but using menstrual cups instead of, like, tampons and using single-use products for every time I have my period. Like, using yeah. something that's going to last me 10 years yeah. instead of polluting a landfill. And also putting things in my body that are, like, bad. Oh, my like, gosh, yeah. Yeah. The amount of, like the weird effects of tampons uh, it's just i've read too many horror stories man it's too scary but yeah so um there's there's a lot of different things you can do to cope in the broken like system that we live in of throwaway culture um but it really just like i try to recommend everybody like keep their trash for a week yeah yeah and just see what you throw away and then look at the trash that you create and then see what the most common threads are and items and be like, all right, I noticed that I have a lot of food packaging. That's the bulk of my waste. So what can I do to cut down on food packaging? Maybe I can shop at my farmer's market or something like that. Yeah, I did the, like, keep your trash challenge for a week thing when I first got home just to see. And I, like, I didn't keep my parents' trash, but I, like, monitored it. And I realized that so much of it was just food packaging. Yeah. Because they just shop at Trader Joe's because it's convenient. And don't get me wrong, I love Trader Joe's so much. I love most of their products, but their food packaging is off the charts. Like, my zucchini does not need to be in a plastic bag. No. There's literally no reason for it. It does not help anything or anyone. Yeah. Um, things like that. And I also realized at the end of the week that I used a lot of, like, plastic baggies just to store things in. Yeah. Because I was too lazy to, like, get out a container and wash it. So I stopped buying plastic baggies, and I just, like, I just don't do that anymore. Or I reuse the, um, the, like, freezer bag, the thick ones. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of thru-hikers, like, reuse them for, I know someone who used them for, like, half of a thru-hike. Really? Yeah, the same one. That's so cool. And, I mean, they didn't put any, like, direct food in it. They put it, like, you know, like, granola bars and stuff. But just the fact that they lasted that long is dedication. a testament to, like... That's so cool. It's also, like, look at how long a plastic bag can serve you. And people just... Use the ones to throw it away. I know. Yeah. I mean, we. I know a lot of through hikers also use disposable water bottles because they're lighter. Yeah. But I think a lot of people also don't just throw them away. Like, most people recycle them or, like, we use them for three weeks straight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I know someone who made it the entire through hike with one water bottle. Wow. kind of grosses me out, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But it's also, like, but, yeah. it's possible to, even if you're going to use something that might be, like with disposable plastic to use that disposable plastic until you just can't use it. Yeah, yeah. You're not buying it and just throwing it away. Yeah, because a lot of people are leaning on recycling as, like, a solution to our plastic pollution plastic pollution crisis. Well, can't talk. <laughs> um, and it's not. Like, less than 9% of plastic that has ever been made has been recycled. That's insane. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, like, now that China has stopped accepting our plastics, like, we think it's getting recycled when we put it in the bin, but it's actually just plaguing countries like Malaysia and the Philippines who are taking our plastic and don't have the infrastructure to, like, actually do anything with it. Right. So recycling is definitely not the solution. But um, back to, like, the individual thing, like, it's it sucks because it's, like, you can do all you can to reduce the amount of plastic that you're creating and putting in the landfill, but, like, ultimately corporations are going to keep 
they're going to keep making it. Nestle made 1.7 million tons of plastic in 2018, and they're just going to keep making more and ramping up more because the more they make, the more they can sell because they're preying off of throwaway culture. And unless we do something about it, like nothing's going to change. Right. And I can, you know, say no to the straw and use my reusable bags all I want, but like it's in the grand scheme, like I hate to like shit on anybody's like <laughs> activism or like, you know, but it's, it's not going to do much unless we like, speak up and really demand that these corporations stop producing these items and like forcing plastic on us which is what I'm doing for my job which is something I'm really passionate about so um if you believe this (laughs) go sign the petition (laughs) on greenpeace.org but yeah I mean I think that's that's ultimately what we're going to need to like combat the plastic pollution crisis like there's a really good analogy that one of my um, coworkers came up with. Um, if your bathtub was overflowing, you wouldn't immediately reach for a mop. Yeah. You would turn off the tap first. Yeah. And that's what we need to do with plastics. Like, we're not going to, like, try to clean up the mess by doing shoreline cleanups and, like, by recycling and stuff because that's not going to solve it. What's going to solve it is just turning it off at the source. And then we go back and we mop it up. Yeah. But, yeah. For real. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I just got chilled a little. <laughs> I didn't even think of it that way. That's so true. Like, that yeah. is the best way to put that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people get really frustrated with Greenpeace, and they're like, if you really wanted to do something about plastics, you would be cleaning up the shorelines instead of going after Nestle. Nestle's never going to change, but it's like, you have to change the system. You have yeah. to cut it off the source. Yeah. That's why. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about what your life was like growing up with the outdoors. Like, did you, what, I know you said you learned how to surf and stuff. Like, did your parents encourage you to go outside a lot? Yeah, they did. Um, I think, I spent so much of my childhood, I spent so much of my childhood outdoors. It's, like, crazy to think about. And, like, a lot of my fondest memories are, like, being outside. Yeah. Like, when I lived in Germany, I used to, like, go skiing in a little, like, field with a hill across the street <laughs> from my house. I remember that. And um, I would go ice skating all the time. And I was just, like, always outside playing. And then when we lived in California, we lived out, like, in the middle of the desert. Mm. So my friends and I would just be, like, running around in the desert, like, playing games, like, playing manhunt until midnight. Like, <laughs> um... I just have so many good memories of just being outside. And um, I think it's, like, really thanks to my parents because they always made it, like, a really important, like, um, kind of, yeah, part of our lifestyle. Like, we went on family walks. We went on, like, family bike rides all the time. Like, they used to take me hiking. And I used to, like, be annoyed with a lot of it, too, especially when I got to be a preteen and I discovered video games. And I was just like, I just want to play The Sims all day. Like, I don't want to go for a bike ride with y'all. Like, leave me alone. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think it was definitely, like, really important to, like, my parents. And my mom came from an immigrant family, and her parents came from Mexico. And, um... I mean, my grandfather was, like, a farm worker. Like, he was a campesino, so he worked out in the fields, and um, he was always outside, and I think he, like, really instilled a love for, like, nature in, like, all of his children that I see, like, even today. Like, they're all gardeners, and they all, like, are super active outdoors, and I think that's really cool because I feel like immigrant, like, communities and communities of color are so 
almost like disconnected from nature like in in the outdoors because they have to like work so much harder to survive yeah you don't have time for that yeah, that they're just like, I don't have time to go hiking. I don't have time to go for a bike ride. Yeah. So they have to find, like, enjoyment in the outdoors in a different way. And I think that really manifested, like, in my family. Yeah. And now I have the freedom to go do whatever I want outdoors because they work so damn hard to give me that and, like, the privilege that I have. Yeah. So, yeah. So your dad was in the military. What does your mom do? My mom, she's worn a lot of hats throughout time. Um... <laughs> Like, when I was, when we lived in California, when we lived in the desert, she was, like, a conservation biologist, and she worked with um, endangered desert tortoise populations. Wow. Yeah, and she worked with, like, a team of archaeologists, so she would, like, go out on digs, and I used to, like, go with her. It was really cool. Wow. Um, and now she works, actually, as a clinical research manager, doing, like, clinical trials on, like, um something cardiology (laughs) she talks with Matt about it a lot um and I don't really usually understand but she does stuff with that science (laughs) Science. yeah yeah she's a scientist which is why I love science so much and why I ultimately like studied stem in college too wow yeah that's really cool Mm -hmm. I love when moms can sort of like influence success and yeah growth. yeah crazy. for sure like the older I get the more I just feel like I'm turning into my mom <laughs> like and in yeah. like the coolest way yeah. like I'm obsessed with plants and I'm constant like I shop for plants online yeah and like I just never would have imagined getting so excited about plants yeah as I do nowadays and that's totally my mom. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that I even cared about plants until I got older and, and I just saw, like, you know, everybody else's plants. And yeah. I guess living in a place with plants made me feel so much better mm-hmm. in such a, like, it, it wasn't a visible, like, change, you know? But yeah. there's that sort of de-stressed feeling, not distress, but de-stress. De-stress. Anti-stress. Anti-stress. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I walked into my new apartment on, God, I moved there less than a week ago, that's weird, (laughs) on Wednesday, and the whole room was just white. It was, like, white, and there's just, like, this bare mattress in the middle, and I walked in and just thought, like, why the hell did I sign this stuff please I do not want to live here but as soon as I put two plants in there it was like okay this is home it's fine yeah you know yeah (laughs) you just need that like other living things growing things (laughs) yeah it's also nice because they sort of become your pet like they do I want to teach my pothos how to grow all the way around my van and (laughs) yes you know I know I I feel like I, I don't have a green green thumb I I'm Matt joked last night that I have a black thumb, <laughs> and I have so many plants, and like I just keep buying first. more. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I just—I don't think it's my fault. Sure. <laughs> the, okay, so I—I I bought this like plant that I've been wanting for ages online, and it came in the mail like a week ago, and I immediately transferred it into soil because it didn't look like it was doing that well. Mm-hmm. And um, Matt and I were sitting having dinner last night, and Matt's my partner for those of y'all who. <laughs> I haven't even said that yet. Um, Yeah, so we were sitting having dinner last night, and he, like, looks at this plant, my, like, African milk tree, and he was like, that's not doing good. And I was like, yeah, it looks like it's on its last legs. And he was like, 
how much did that cost? And I was like, oh, like five dollars. I think it was like ten. Um, <laughs> Whatever. Um, and I was just like, I'm gonna try to get a replacement one because it, it like it didn't look that good when it came in the mail. And he was like, either that or you just have a black thumb. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't think so. And he was like, you need to stop buying plants if you can't keep them alive. And I was like, the rest of them are thriving. Okay, yeah, totally. like it's not my fault. Just so. Just don't sunburn them. I know. I know, <laughs> man. That, that one's not my fault. That's just an extra sensitive succulent who just <laughs> can't handle the sun. Yeah, totally. But, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love it. That's a great tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a podcast of just random it tangents. Is. Yeah. I mean, that's really every episode is like that. Okay. There is somewhere. It's not just always hiking, hiking, hiking. No. Okay. No, it's so not. Oh, my gosh. There was one where we went on a whole tangent about... <laughs> what it's like to live in society with social media. Oh. It's really just like, I don't know. I think the nuance of just everything in society sort of pervades your life more when you're more active on social media because you're just seeing it all the time. Yeah. Whereas if you just walk through daily life and you weren't on social media, like, you just wouldn't notice those things, like those political nuances or those, like, I shouldn't say this word or I shouldn't go here I should not you know yeah the shoulds in life I think are a lot less yeah when you're not worried about what everybody else is doing yeah that's true that's yeah. very true because I used to be like should was my number one vocabulary word like what should I be doing not yeah. what do I want to do what could I do what should I do mm-hmm. and that's just not I don't know it's a really restrictive way to live that is yeah <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. As someone who works on social media full-time, yeah, yeah, I feel that a lot. <laughs> How do you feel about, like, like your personal social media versus your work social media? Like, did, you, did working on social media make you start treating your personal social media differently? I don't think so, because I, before I started this job, I was already, like, using social media as, like, like, I already had my, like, website that I, like, blogged on, and I already had my causes that I was really outspoken about, and, um, like, that's part of the reason why I got this job was because of my social media presence. Yeah, that's true. And, um, but I think it has changed as in, like, I had this conversation with some of my coworkers, and they were like, do you see yourself as an extension of the Greenpeace brand? And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, definitely, like... I, like, especially since I went on um, the European ship tour and was, like, covering that on my social media, I was, like, relaying that, and I made one post where I just, like, went on a rant where I was, like, it's it's ridiculous that we as consumers have to feel guilty about plastic when it's not our fault. Like, yeah. it's not my fault that I can't go buy a fucking loaf of bread that doesn't have plastic on it. Yeah. Like, without having to, like, go out of my way to go to, like, a farmer's market or somewhere else. Like, I can't just go to the grocery store and buy a piece of bread or buy, a, like, a loaf of bread in my own bag. Yeah. And, like, that's not my fault, and I, don't, I shouldn't have to feel guilty about that. And I basically went on this rant where I was talking about, like, it's corporations. Like, don't feel guilty. It's corporations. And it really resonated with people to the, like, to the point where that, point, that post went kind of viral. And it got, like, 3,000 likes. Yeah. And I've never gotten that many likes on any of my posts. I maybe get, like, 200 to, like, 300. And I think people, like, really heard that and felt seen and just, like, 
people who like me who have probably struggled and feel bad about any time they like treat themselves to like a soda or something that's in plastic and are just like well shit like I'm just perpetuating plastic because I can't say no to this thing and I think people like felt so seen by that and I like put the call out to our petition on that post and like 60 people clicked like and signed the petition in my like link in my profile. That's amazing. Yeah, and I was just like, but like, it also just proves, like, yeah, that's the extension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I was really like, yeah, I am an extension of like Greenpeace's brand, and yeah. like, I really am like the face behind, or like one of the faces behind what we are doing, and people, I think, like to see that. Yeah. For sure. So. Yeah. yeah I think it's that's probably the only way it's changed it, in that like I feel like I've become more of an activist, and I like. I'm able to share more calls to action and, like, more real change-driving, like, stuff with my, like, followers than before. Is there any, like, negative side effects of that, though? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, We were just talking about this earlier, actually. Yeah. Um, So, since I do, like, the, the Facebook and the Instagram lives, I'm often, like, the face that people see. So when we, like, um, last month I went to D.C. and we delivered a plastic monster to um, Nestle. And it was, like, a big PR stunt. You know, that's, like, that's what Greenpeace actions are. Like, in reality, we have people who are sitting down with executives from, like, corporations like Nestle and having the conversations. Mm -hmm. Like, leadership is there and they're having that conversation and saying, like, this is what you need to do. Here are the solutions. Here's what Greenpeace is calling for. Uh, but people don't always see that on social media. They see, like, the PR stunts where we're doing banner drops or we're delivering a giant plastic monster puppet to, like, the headquarters. And really what it is is to, like, bring attention to it. Like, that monster was in the news. Yeah. And it was everywhere. And people saw it on the street. And Nestle was so embarrassed by it. They were so embarrassed they called the cops. Like, wow. Like, all the time we were doing, like, our social media kick against Nestle, like, they were, like, posting on their social media saying, like, this is what we're doing, we're organizing cleanups, and we're making our products recyclable, because so many people were, like, calling them out, and they don't like that, and that's how we create change, and that's how Greenpeace does it, and it's been proven to work, like, over the 40 years we've been an organization, um, so yeah, I did this live where I was with a monster, and, um, that video has over 130,000 views on our on our Instagram, and it's gotten hundreds of negative comments. And people are just, like, calling us out for our form of, like, activism and trying to create change because they don't understand, like, our activism model or our theory of change. And, like, some of the attacks are personal. Yeah. And I'm just, like, I'm just relaying information. I'm just being the face and, like... Yeah, I'm just doing my job, you know. And people are, like, commenting stuff like, she just looks like a bitch, or fuck you, bitch. And, like, one person commented on my weight and was like, you look like you've been drinking a little too much Nesquik. And it's just, like... That's painful. Yeah, I mean, it didn't, like, hurt me personally. I feel like when people talk crap about Greenpeace, like, as an organization, it hurts me more (laughs) than this person, like, talking about my weight did. Yeah. Um... It's but also yeah, like not. I mean, they don't even know you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's like you realize I'm a real person, right? Like yeah. I'm not just like a, a thing that lives on the internet. Like I'm a real person who yeah, reads you your live comments. In the and <laughs> <laughs> I do live on the internet though, for real. But yeah, like I'm a real person who has feelings and like desires and like 
you know, I read your comments, and, you know, luckily I have thick skin enough, like, where it's not like I'm dwelling on what they said, but it's still just like, why do people do that? Yeah. Yeah. People are shitty. It's that anonymity. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It honestly creeps me out, too, sometimes, that there is that much anonymity, because when I see that, I think, what else, like, who else is being anonymous without me realizing it that's not, like, maybe attacking me, but it's just underlying or just there or just perpetuating things Mm -hmm. or, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Those are the people that have definitely not been outside. (laughs) For sure, for sure. They need some nature therapy. Yeah, they do. They need a nice hike and they need to think about what they say and how they treat other people. Preschool. Preschool! They need to go back to preschool. Yeah. That's, like, basic rules of how to be a human that we learn. Yeah. Yeah. They must have failed preschool. Definitely. (laughs) It's interesting, too, because nowadays, like, preschool isn't really what we went... Like, it's not the same as when we were kids, I think. No. Definitely got to be different. Like, there's no way it could be the same. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Sometimes I think about the things that I did in preschool. Like, Matt told me one time... They had, like, phones at his preschool that were, like, disassembled, so you got to play with all the internal, like, circuits and stuff. Oh, we had clocks. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt was telling me about that one time, and I was like, oh, cool. I had this thing that I got really excited about at preschool every day, where it was, like, two plastic pitchers with water, and you poured the water into each other. (laughs) (laughs) And I was really excited to play with that. And Matt was like, I mean, I guess it teaches you, like, motor skills. And I was like, I mean, my motor skills are so shitty now, but, like... (laughs) I That's mean, like gross motor skills right there. I know. I, like, spill anything that I ever try to pour ever. <laughs> but I was, like, I mean, at least I got some good practice in because who knows how bad I would have been if <laughs> right. I didn't have that in preschool. Probably strengthened <laughs> your wrists a lot. Yeah. Like, that's why you can climb now. Yeah, probably, probably. Oh, <laughs> uh, why are you such a good climber? Well. <laughs> I used to pour water from pitcher to pitcher. <laughs> you want to see? Building up that wrist strength and we're nice and early. Ooh, my wrists pop every time. Every really? time I, like, move them. My toes are like that. Looks great. I'm getting older. Yeah. Just all the pops, everything. I didn't really realize how much my joints were going to hurt as I started getting older, like, I really didn't think of that being such a thing. Yeah. And as a kid, I played so much music. I got tendonitis in college. So when I stopped playing music, it mostly, you know, subsided. But once yeah. I act up, and now that I'm typing and writing all the time, my fingers hurt all the time. Yeah. And they get, like, at the end of the night, I just hold them in, like, claws like this. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I can't, stretching them out, I can, but it's just so much effort. They just want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I started doing more hand stretches during the day, like pulling your oh, fingers back that's smart. your elbow. And yeah. Yeah. Arthritis runs in my family. Like, my, my grandma has it. My dad has, like, early stages of it. And I'm, like, I just know it's coming for me. Yeah. It's not, it's not, like, if, it's when. Yeah. And when I first um, started climbing in, like, December, um... I would go, like, three times a week, and I, like, I remember one night laying awake, and my, like, hands hurt, like, yeah, my grip. my knuckles hurt, and I was just like, this is it, Arthur- <laughs> arthritis has come for me, <laughs> and I was telling Matt, I was like, I think I'm gonna go to the doctor and, like, make an appointment, and I think the arthritis is here, and he was like, you are so paranoid, and I was like, no, no, I- I'm going to have arthritis, and he was like, just give it a day, I think you're probably just sore, Yeah. and of course the next day I was fine, and like, I think I've just gotten used to climbing, to the point where like, 
I don't, like, my hands aren't sore anymore, which is good. But, yeah, I was just, like, laying in bed, like, arthritis is here. <laughs> arthritis has come for me. <laughs> oh, man. I always, like... On trail, at, there were certain points where my knees would just start to hurt just from having more of an incline, like in the, in the whites and stuff in New Hampshire. And I started wearing knee braces, and I used to call them, like, my robot knees. <laughs> and I was like, you know, when I'm old, I really hope they already have robot yeah. knees existing. Like, that would be really nice to just not. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that when I was younger, I thought, oh, 20 years from now, that's going to be so futuristic or it's going to be so different and I think the only thing that came through that way truly in life was like cell phones and computers yeah I don't think anything else we still don't have flying cars I feel like the danger of flying cars is not (laughs) worth it no yeah maybe like hoverboards would be cool but I don't know I'll I'll stay on the ground I mean we had hoverboards but they weren't like real hoverboards which I don't even get me started on that those are so dumb so dumb (laughs) That is another way. Any to of y'all out there who have hoverboards, you can come fight me. I don't care. I heard this. <laughs> what was I listening to? It was some NPR story about New York City, and they were talking about how there are parts of New York City where you'll walk around and you'll just see, like, you know, the little, like, one wheel electric scooter that you, like, stand on those two little Oh, platforms? yeah, those are so weird. And when they break, nobody, like, there's no programs for fixing them. Like, companies aren't going to, like, take them back and fix it. That they just like leave them on the street because what else are you gonna do with it like you can't just throw it away and now they're just like sitting around in New York City and I had no idea that was a thing and I'm just sitting here thinking we already have enough pollution what are we doing with scooters I know <laughs> crazy you should just bring the Razor scooters back yeah I mean they're doing those you know how they have bike shares Oh, no, I refuse. No, they're so dumb. I just want Razor scooters. Yeah. Like, I was at the Greenpeace warehouse last, like, two weeks ago for an action, for the Plastic Monster action, (laughs) and they have, like, a legit, like, Razor scooter from, like, the 90s. Nice. Like, it's old, but it still works. They still make those? I think they do. I hope so. I want one. I was, like, having the time of my life riding around (laughs) on it. It was so fun. That's great. I just love them because, like, that's one of those things that's fixable. Like, you can fix that yeah. at home yourself. Yeah. Just, like, bikes. Why don't more people ride bikes? Honestly, I'm terrified, like, just to ride a bike around a car. But I would general, ride my bike everywhere bike if more. I could. Yeah. I love riding bikes. Oh, mountain biking is another one of my, like, oh, outdoor yeah? loves. Oh, I love mountain biking. I think mountain biking is absolutely terrifying. It is? You are courageous. <laughs> I've had so many, like, random injuries and bruises and, like, sprained my ankle. Haven't broken a bone yet, which is good. Not but wood I know. There's, like, no wood next <laughs> to me. Course. So next time we go out, I'll probably break my leg or something. But, yeah, I love mountain biking. It's scary, but it's a lot of fun. It's a rush. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely Matt's, like, favorite hobby. So it's, like, he, like, is so into mountain biking, he spends all of his time looking at bikes. <laughs> and I'm, like, I want to be really into rock climbing, so both of us are, like, yeah, kind of, like, being torn into, like, different directions. Melding your interests, though. Yeah, I know. So he's always, like, let's go climbing, and I'm, like, or no, he's, like, let's go biking, and I'm, like, well, I want to go climbing tonight, so. <laughs> it's nice one that, or the other. like, you guys can support each other in it, though, and it's not just, like. Yeah. You know, one or the other. Yeah. Or whatever. For sure. It is nice that, like, we share, like, our interests, and, and one of us doesn't have to, like, go off and, like, do things on our own. Like, I we have a lot of friends, 
who rock climb and they're like married but their partner's like not into climbing mm. so they're always like I don't have someone to belay me I, like I need to like find friends who climb and Matt and I have always climbed together yeah so it's just always like never a question of like who's gonna belay me yeah it's always yeah and it's like a trust building activity too. Yeah, it's really nice to have someone you trust on the yeah. line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm married to you, so I trust you. Like I don't have to like worry so. about like some <laughs> rando like who's gonna drop me or anything like that. Totally. So yeah, it is. It is a good like activity for married people for sure. Yeah. What time is it? It's five o'clock. It? Should we wrap up? We can wrap up. Okay. I love it. We Let's had a great do a wrap time. up. We did. We can totally do another episode by the pool. Yes. <laughs> uh, I do. This is this is fun. This is like fun practice because I really want to start a podcast, but I don't know. You're great at like being the interviewee. Really? Yeah, it's great. Oh, you, thank like, you. I didn't have to tell you to move your hair out of the mic or anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you weren't, you know. No, you're great. This is great. You, yeah. should. you should. I know. I really want to. I just. I don't, I just don't know if I, like, have the courage to do it on my own, because I know what I want to do it about, Yeah. but, like, I, I just wish I had someone to do it with me. What are you trying to do? Um, I want to do a podcast on, like, the mixed race experience. Yeah. Of, like, um, people, like, who are mixed race and identify with, like, different parts, because, like, I didn't meet my first, like, mixed race friend who identified with, like, everything that they are until last year. Wow. Like, all of the people I've known who are mixed race, like, biracial before, like, they're either, like, one thing or they're, like, like they just don't they identify with, with the different parts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, when I met my friend last year who's, like, identifies with both equally, I was just, like, I felt so seen and understood. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so interesting. And, like, there's increasingly, I, I, our world is becoming, like, more like mixed and like it's beautiful and it's really cool but like I just feel like there was no one there for me when I was growing up and like trying to find my identity and not being like Mexican enough or Filipino enough or like white enough or like anything to fit into any of my boxes that like I just wish there had been someone or some like someone talking about it and being like you don't have to choose yeah and that's beautiful like this is how you spread the frosting it's okay yeah Yeah, like you can check all the boxes you want like you don't have to like try to make yourself fit and like shrink yourself and then feel like you're not enough so like I want to do a podcast talking about like that and like those identities and sharing like the stories of like mixed race people around the world because they're so different and they're so cool yeah yeah wow maybe i'll have the courage one day to do it i'll leave this in there maybe someone will hit you up yeah that would be really cool yeah for real i want everyone to have a podcast everybody should just have a podcast i know i I just love love talking i I just like want to talk if people if people listen that's cool but i just want to talk at people yeah (laughs) like how do you create a project to do the project not for the end result yeah yeah Yeah. if you're going for success like i don't even know why you're here yeah. Like, I'm not going to that. I just like doing this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just like, like, I love writing because it's like, I need to get the words out of my head. Yeah. I need to put them somewhere. And I feel like this, like, topic could help people, like, like what I needed growing up. And I feel like it still could help adults. Like, yeah. and I would love to put this out there in, in a way and in a place that, like, people could, like, hear it and resonate with it and, like, participate too. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna make it happen. <laughs> I just decided. Well, thanks I'm gonna do for coming it. on my podcast, dude. Thanks for having me. Oh my god, <laughs> such a privilege. Oh. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Hashtag I'm blessed. so blessed. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it off. Now. All right. <laughs>
I've learned a lot about plastic and conservation from Katie, and I hope you guys did too. Definitely go check out her social media feed, and if you're looking to host a podcast with her about the mixed race experience and you are a mixed race yourself, reach out to her. I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. As always, y'all, tune in after this to hear Katie's social media handles and a word from our sponsors. You can find me at Trail Name Here on Instagram, on Facebook.com slash Trail Name Here, and at TrailNameHere.com. You can find Katie on Instagram at Around the World in Katie Days. Katie is spelled K-A-T-Y, and it's all one word. This episode was sponsored by Freiburg Motors, Mount Washington Valley's number one choice for European automotive sales and service. You can find them at 299 Main Street in Freiburg, Maine, on Facebook at Freiburg Motors, and on their website, freibergmotors.com. This episode was sponsored by listeners like you. Thank you. If you love the show and you want to donate, you can go to paypal.me slash trailname here and donate as little as a dollar to our show. If every listener donated just a dollar, this show is fully funded for a whole year. Thank you so much for listening and thanks for donating. If you want to support the show but you can't afford a donation, that's okay. You can rate the show, you can leave a review of the show, you can subscribe to the show, and you can share the show on social media or with your friends via text message or email. I'd love for you to share the show. It really helps us gain listeners and every share counts.